0: Welcome to After Hours at the Radio Book Club, which is a podcast edition of the Radio Book Club, a collaboration between KGNU and the Boulder Bookstore. Our guest today is local author E.J. Levy, and her latest book is The Cape Doctor, which is a fictionalised version of a very interesting real-life character, Dr. James Barry. It's Dr. Jonathan Perry in the book, both born as Margaret in cork ireland but went on to live in cape town south africa as dr barry or dr perry and we've been digging into the idea around gender uh, medicine because of course dr barry was such an incredible um Leader really in in so many aspects of medicine there was a line that just jumped out at me in the book because the whole time I was reading this as we're in the middle of a pandemic and we're seeing incredible politicization and conflict around public health there was a line that just jumped out at me you can judge a culture by its medicine this is a line that uh, Dr Perry says in the book and I was always wondering as we're going through everything that we're going through right now debates or the politicization of public health vaccines even wearing masks how will our culture be judged by future generations because we do judge cultures by how they treat you know when we look back historically and we think, oh my god there was just terrible abuse of power you know what how will we be judged right now I mean it was just something that just really resonated with me as, as I was reading the book
1: I'm I'm so with you on that, that. I should note that the book was sold in February of 2019, so um, before you know, a year before the pandemic, and we postponed publication um, partly because of the pandemic, um, or I guess you know, we I should say I begged, <laughs> begged, begged to to postpone its publication until 2021, and I'm thrilled that it it came out at a time when it be has begun to be possible. To, um to move more freely um, in the world but it um, I do think we will be judged by um, the last 50 years and the the um, moving of wealth up and um, the the dismissal the kind of dismantling of the social safety net I think that is a um, an injustice that has unwound our democracy in many ways. Because Dr. Perry
0: observes that, you know, poverty is is a great killer. And that's really what your access to medicine. We're still having those conversations in 2021.
1: You bet. You bet. Absolutely. And even those of us who uh, who have the the privilege and kind of enfranchisement, the good luck to to have good health care, good health insurance, um, by virtue of spouses or jobs or whatever else, um, are still facing these m- mad um, expenses because the system is set up in such a way that it is um, more concerned with profit than with public health. And this is very much what, uh, what the real Dr. Barry and my character Dr. Perry Russell with, that um, they were engaged in what now would be... Um, uh, a slam down fight with um, big pharma in our current terms and in their case, the the unregulated patent medicine industry. Um, so yeah, thank you for seeing that. I um, that mattered a lot to me and and um, and sadly also there's a question in the novel I don't think it's too much to give away about the separation of of parents and children um, and the what it costs us to try to sacrifice our intimate attachments for, what we hope will be the betterment of a child's life, or um, from other necessity, and that I really, as I was writing this, of course, we were watching the the ongoing crisis um, of refugees and immigrants at the the American border, um, uh, and uh, and that weighed heavily on this too, as it did on the the actual Dr. Barry,
2: Dr. Perry. You know, it's amazing that you can, you know, write a book where the main action takes place just about 200 years ago and have it be so relevant. I mean, we're talking about the separation of the border. You're talking about the, the, the pandemic and how it relates to that. And, of course, the, the big subject, of course, is gender, which has become, you know, it's always there, but um, it's become much more politicized, say, in the last 10, 15 years As you're writing this book, are you are you really steeped in history or are you seeing these parallels and trying to play with them consciously? Or is it just something that once you've completed what you set out to do, you know, right, kind of fill in the gaps, as you said, of of the on this person historically? um, Is it something you see afterwards and be like, geez, that really resonates with what's going on now?
1: Well, I mean, I wish I had seen... um, I understood it to be timely, but it was really, for me, much more personally urgent because having been an LGBTQ activist all of my adult life, um, having spent much of a decade in my 30s, being read by others as male, I identified as androgynous, Um, having lived my adult life as a lesbian... Um, that this question of labels as empowering labels as constraining has been something at the forefront of my life. Um, in the case of this particular historical novel, I was less concerned with um, the timeliness than with a sense that there had been has been an injustice done. To Margaret Ann Bulkley and Dr. James Berry, to try to um, uh, claim or dismiss this life categorically, um, and so uh, I wanted to restore a kind of first-person subjectivity and complexity that troubles categories rather than ratifying them, um, and if I might, the part of the history is that when it was first discovered that, that um, Dr. Berry was, quote-unquote, a perfect female who'd carried a child, there was great debate in the press. Oh, Dr. Barry could never have been a woman. You know, no woman could be such a genius. Or, um, you know, those, those who said, oh, of course, we always knew. Um, as if this were something written on our spirits, you know? Um, so it seemed to me... At that time, there was dismissal, by and large, of the idea that this could have been a woman. Uh, go forward uh, you know, to the 1930s, and there's a British colonel who begins to circulate the idea that, of course, Dr. Barry had been a woman. Lousy surgeon, terrible medical student, just desperately in love with a soldier, who followed their love to the Cape. So time and again, there was a dismissal of the possibility that the genius could have been a woman all along. Um, And that troubled me. Um, And I wanted to write a book that, um, that spoke to Margaret's brilliance, even as I hope that it defies neat categorization, that Um, that we can read this life and argue that this was certainly a life that transits gender. But um, is this a man? Is this a woman? Is that the most meaningful question to ask? Does that make sense?
0: And that really ties back to, you know, part of the conversation we had in the broadcast version of the interview, where, you know, we talked about there was some pushback, not just for your book, but uh, two biographies written by women because of the pronouns they used for dr barry and then you said that there was another biography written by two men that had no pushback even though they also used female pronouns and it does seem that we sometimes get there's there's such politicization of pronouns to me that that then takes away the real needed discussions around gender and gender identity that we get caught up in the well what pronouns are we using albeit they're important conversations because, of course, pronouns have been weaponized—you know—to misgender people in a in a very uh, aggressive way too. But do you see us moving maybe beyond that? That there will be a, a post-gender reality that we might be in where we can talk about the realities of this without getting caught up in certain aspects of it.
1: Yeah, I guess I hope so. I guess what I worry about is that the efforts, sometimes well-intentioned, sometimes ill-intentioned to um, subdivide groups um, whose rights are in danger only uh, helps those who would strip us of our rights. So for me, you know, it's women's rights are besieged and that doesn't matter if you're a cis woman or a trans woman or, you know, how you identify, that if you are read as, as female by sex, by gender, it is um, we have to uh, protect women's rights and um, and you know LGBTQ rights. So the the divisions, um, divisive conversations. I hope we can move beyond so that people are are in a strong position to um, self-identify to make meaningful choices about who they love and how they live with a guarantee of civil rights protections for all. But we are a long way from that. And I think the same, um, so um, I think sex and gender matter, um, but I think our penchant for categorizing um, is um, one another rather than letting people do it for themselves is, um, can be very destructive. So I worry about that. It's part of my like much broader worry about democracy at this moment. But thank you. yeah. I mean, I do want to just say, you know, of course, I support trans rights. I support women's rights. I don't think these are at odds. And I think to the extent that they're being pitted against each other um, is only serving those who are antagonistic to the
2: rights of of um, of all of us.
1: Mm-hmm. So thanks for asking about that.
2: Well, I mean, the conversation when you talk about pitting groups against each other, you know, the conversation gets uh, more complex too when you add add race into it. You, you know, uh, you we're seeing in the bookstore. Um, I, I'll admit I haven't I haven't read the books yet. I've I've heard some interviews where you know white feminism is hurting sure. black women, and you know, so there's all sorts of divisions, and um, we just seem to be in a time where um we're pairing things down and we're dividing more and more when the 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 people the the groups were kind of fighting for power the groups that you know that are oppressing all these all these uh groups are powerful and you un- it right. seems like unity is needed <laughs> no, and and not that there's not points to books about white feminism and th- I mean obviously there are points to that but I just wonder if I worry about how much time there is left. It feels like we're one or two bad elections away from not having the opportunity to fight back in the way we have right now.
1: You bet. No, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think writers like Thomas Chatterton Williams, Thomas Williams Chatterton, I always get the sequence confused, are are writing about kind of the... um, the challenges of racial categorization in in similar ways, you know, that um, that who do these categories serve? Um, and um, and how how can we lay claim to complex identity while still having a kind of meaningful um, political cohesion that we need? You know, um, authoritarians do not care about, um these these subtleties you know they are just realpolitik going after power and i do worry about our internal divisions um valid as the debates are dividing us when we don't have much time to fight and we have to be organized and unified so um so I agree. I guess I, I'm in favor of um, great, lively, pluralist debate and also really solid political organizing to, um, particularly in terms of guaranteeing the vote at this point. So I'm, yeah, I'm going to go home and write a lot of postcards. <laughs> so.
0: I actually found the Cape Doctor hopeful, albeit all the challenges that Dr. Perry, Dr. Barry faced in real life, because it does show you that one person who is very committed to sense of justice, to, to certain ideals, can stand up regardless of the obstacles that seem insurmountable but my goodness the difference that dr barry made we, we talked about that the medical advances you know 100 years later the nhs national health service was founded in in britain and i have to think that doctors like dr barry who had that sense of public health as opposed to an individual thing that not-for-profit health was what was needed tying poverty and an understanding that everybody needs access to healthcare that that was part of the formation you know that led up to the national health service that really is a model albeit it's been this attempts ongoing attempts to dismantle it by the right-wing government in in Britain but it is seen as a model internationally for what public health can be so to me it was oh my gosh we can make a difference albeit if there are insurmountable obstacles because of course we have what seem to be insurmountable obstacles facing us right now but to me the message was don't give up because you, you can make a difference.
1: You are so wonderful, I agree, I agree. And um, I, it, of course at the turn of this century there was a lot of talk um, and certainly in the first decade of this, this new century um, about how one vote didn't really matter um, that you know, statisticians would come forward and say your one vote does not matter and And people like Stacey Abrams, I mean, there were many, of course, are involved, and she is the face of this, but um, said, called bs, and really <laughs> made sure that one vote would matter because in the accumulation it does. And um, and I think it's it's just terribly important to remember that that the one voice, the one act, the one life matters enormously, and especially, you know, um, in the face of um, racial injustice, social injustice, economic injustice, and, and um, potential climate catastrophe, that um, again, it's often common to say, I just heard an editor from The Economist saying, oh, you know, one, uh, one action shutting on, you know, shutting off lights won't matter. And I feel like one doesn't, but the accumulation does. Um, so I agree with you. I do find that hopeful. Um, I um, I find it to be a very inspiring life, and um, it was I should I should say there was there's the f- biography by Rachel Holmes that was attacked um, uh, that came out in about two thousand and Rachel Weiss's film where she was going to play Margaret um, James that was attacked and stopped. So I hope that maybe. Um, films will be made about this life, um, and more attention brought to it, so that more of us can be inspired. I'm I'm with you in that. So.
2: You know, we had a we had a show a few years ago. Um, we had Laird Hunt on the show, and he wrote a book about women soldiers in yes. the Civil War, which was, you know, a story I didn't know. And I feel like as more of these stories come out. As more of these stories are are brought forward, and and we we see that that women have played a role, you know, in all sorts of things that we you know have been written as male enterprises. Mm-hmm. It'll give it'll give uh, a different perspective. It'll give a different perspective on today's transgender arguments and you know all these things. That this is something that's been going. on. This isn't something that. the the, today's left wing had invented and and, and Fox news needs to rail against you know i mean that that there's been uh women who've taken on the guys or have become trans or you know whatever the language is all throughout history and i think it's great that we're seeing more of these stories come and i was interested because i felt that your your book kind of is another piece to that that you talk about accumulation of votes, but there's accumulation of voices from history now or about history that are hopefully are gonna change that record as we go forward.
1: You're so wonderful. I, I really appreciate that. And I think that that um, probably with with some exceptions, but I think in many cases, we can't know how individuals felt about the choice of, you know, transiting gender in a life. So I think it's perfectly valid to go back and and read this as, you know, trans forebears and feminist forebears, um, all of that being terribly important to our present, that that just as you say, this isn't new. You know, we have been here, Um, even if we are um, now talking about the fluidity of lives and um and gender and sex in new ways so um thank you for saying that i agree i mean i i think knowing that we're not the first is is really helpful that kind of those matches in the past that light our way um so thank you i agree
0: and maybe more of those stories from history hope. will be told as well. But in the meantime, we'd like to thank E.J. Levy, who has been our guest today at the Radio Book Club, After Hours at the Radio Book Club. The latest novel is The Cape Doctor. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much, Maeve and Arson. Such a pleasure.
0: After Hours at the Radio Book Club is a collaboration between KGNU Community Radio and the Boulder Bookstore. I'm Maeve Conran with KGNU. As always, my co-host, Arson Kashkashian of the Boulder Bookstore. Thanks, Arson.
2: Thank you, Maeve.